Welcome to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl. No my haere mai kia ora and welcome to Books and Beyond Literary Lounge with Alison and Enika. Brought to you from our home studios. Kia ora Enika. Yoda Alison. Well, look, I've got great news. We have our first official fans. How cool is that? You mean people who don't work with us? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, actually, other people. Or yeah, related. Real, real people. Real, um, proper people. So I'd like to give a lovely shout out, a huge shout out to Rosalind and her book club at the Hibiscus Coast. Oh, how wonderful. Oh, hi, Rosalind, and hi, Book Club. Um, wow, kia ora koutou to all of you who are listening in the in the beautiful far north. Um, oh, gosh, I must admit, it's been a while since I've been up there. I mean, probably for you as well, Alison. You haven't been doing many yes, roads, have you? Not for a while, and it's just beautiful up there. It's so gorgeous, and we've got really lovely libraries up there with some fantastic um, staff. I, I think I'm going to do a little roadie over the summer, and um, I'm going to check in on our libraries, borrow some more books up there, and maybe even do the op shops. They've got some really good um, op shops up in Whangaparoa. They do. They Even I know that. Yes, <laughs> so it's well worth something. a day trip up there for the libraries and the op shops, I've got to say. And there's a really good bakery. I can just give you the hot tip Um from a an outsider's perspective is that there's this wonderful bakery opposite the Whangaparoa Library that does the best cinnamon cream donuts oh, you have ever tasted. They are something else. So good. It yes. is on the Hibiscus Coast, right? Yep, it is. Yes. Okay, yep. You sort of turn right. <laughs> turn right at the Hibiscus Coast. You know me. Yeah. I'm spatially challenged. <laughs> well, how are you doing today? How are your reads going? Well, my reads for today, um, it probably won't surprise you, Alison, because I've been so busy, but they're all quite on the short side, but that's been a really good thing for me. Um, you might remember last week I was sort of humble bragging about managing to reach my, my 2021 reading goal in October. So that's I'm just going right. to stick that in there again for the people in the back. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and I said at the time that, um, you know, part of that was because I've been getting into the thrillers a little bit more than I ever have. And also my special source has been sprinkling a few more shorter reads into my mix. You know, it's it's helped me get over that imaginary line that I've set for myself. And it's also kept my reading so varied, so much more varied, I think. And also just rolling at a really good pace, you know, sort of just keeps going. Yeah. Good and on I think, you. Yeah, I think that's really good for this um this month too, you know. Things get so busy in November in, in New Zealand, don't they? Time's so yes. tight, not much time to read. So, you know. Um, I've been, you know, I'm I like to follow lots of um people who do reviews on Bookstagram. And there's been heaps of bookstagrammers doing um these tinies challenges in November to try and crack their reading goals before the end of the year. So they're, you know, cramming in all these short novels and like concise nonfiction reads and poetry books and also novellas. You know, all of these are just awesome for November as you just cruise into getting your big December pile ready um, for the summer holidays. Yeah, what a great idea. And then in the summer holidays, then we start tend to see the rise of the big fat book again. That's don't we? right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, these doorstops. Yes. That's exactly right. Where you can really um get 
deep into those those long ones that need the extra attention. Yeah, well, but now it's not week, time. This is not the time. This is not the time for those ones, everyone. <laughs> Wait for those ones. Well, my next read, um, my first read for today is a mixture of just about all of those different types of short, um, short pieces, really. So it is a book called A Clear Dawn, New Asian Vo Voices from Aotearoa, New Zealand. It is edited by Paula Morris and Alison Wong. So both are incredible writers in their own, um, in their own right, as you would say. <laughs> mm. Now, um, this is published um, just earlier this year. I think it came out in June, and um, June 2021, and it's available in our adult nonfiction collection and on Overdrive. And this book is really incredible. I tell you what, it features um, 75 or so new and relatively new writers and um, and lots of the pieces in there are freshly um, published, so new published, um, and there's lots of different formats in there, and the authors in there come right across the Asian Aotearoa diaspora. So the story behind um, how this book came together, because it has been in the works for a number of years now, so uh, Dr. Paula Morris and Alison Wong um, were inspired to take up the call from Emma um, Ng's book, Old Asian, New Asian, which is one of our, those BWB texts that I oh, occasionally yes. harp on about, yeah. that I love so much. Um, you can find those in our libraries and in the e-book. So they're called, um, what is it, small books for? Well, with big ideas or no, something, something like, like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I know my brain can't remember, but I have. Yeah. It is a fabulous tagline, whatever it is. Yes. <laughs> and it totally lives up to expectations. Anyway, um, Old Asian, New Asian um, asked, um, asked publishers to consider reframing biculturalism as one of tangata whenua and tau iwi, so Māori and non-Māori, rather than Māori and Pākehā. And taking their inspiration for that, they began surveying the kind of Asian Aotearoa landscape of writing and they called for Asian New Zealand writing, which is really underrepresented in our publishing market. Now, there's such a wide variety of writing that they've managed to capture and I'm sure there was lots that didn't make it in the book just because there's just so much talent out there that may not have been getting the airtime that it needs, you know. Um, now, there's such a wide variety. Some of the writing in here is relatively straightforward in style and in, um, in setting. And there's also some pieces that are really contemporary, um, you know, bringing up like super contemporary issues for young people, um, some really interesting, um, you know, stylistic choices and some formatting choices, you know, in the poetry and stuff, all really cool stuff in there. Some really thought-provoking um, ideas and um, and ways of thinking about the world in here, and the settings uh, are really from all over. So some of them are set right here in Tamaki Makoto and in other places in Aotearoa, and they also spread right across the world. So you get this full range of diaspora voices, experiences, and settings. You get those kind of home and away vibes, and you know that I'm not talking about the same, of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you get those sort of, you get migrant stories, um, immigrant stories, you get born here, but parents came from there or grandparents came from there. Um, when I say there, I hope that I'm not sounding insensitive. Um, there is very, very, very many places for these mm. um, this wide, wide selection of authors. Um, the writers come from all the way from Indonesia to Japan and from the Philippines um, 
to the Indian subcontinent. And lots of them have many national and ethnic affiliations. Now, this is um, quoted straight from the introduction, by the way, which is a really good introduction to this book. Really loved reading that. It goes into some of the Asian uh, Aotearoa history, um, which is really fascinating to put it into context, to put the writing into context and these authors work into context. Um, there's something fresh for everyone, heaps of poetry, some nonfiction stuff. And there's also some, some short excerpts from longer pieces and novels, which, you know, I would, I'm going to hunt some of those out. And I also, I think I will need to look out for some of them coming out on the shelves because they might be unpublished as yet. But I think on the strength of the writing in this book, they won't remain unpublished for long. Yeah, that sounds just so interesting. And um, it's very interesting how you talk about the um, Toiwi and uh, Tangata Whenua. Um, interesting discussion this week. I, I um, managed to observe and, and really enjoy the, the conversation about um, this, the work that's done on the, the census every time it's it's done in New Zealand. And yes. um, there's been quite a, a move um, from a group of people, and I really um, think they've got a good point. And it's um, Asian New Zealanders and how they are described in our official data, mm. and, um, and which um, is quite different to how they would like to be described. Um, so yes. yeah, so often when you're tick, ticking the box, you might be Asian, tick or other. Um, and for so many people, um, that doesn't really fit their experience. No, um, and it really, not. yeah. And so I found it quite fascinating and sobering really to see how groups of people can be othered by the state so easily. So it's really good to see this, these sort of conversations coming up, isn't it? And absolutely. Yeah, no, that's absolutely so timely. Um, definitely something we need to be considering here in Tāmaki Makoto always, because we're such a diverse city. And, yes. um, you know, this is where the best and brightest of us are. I'm going to put it out there and say it <laughs> loud and proud yeah. after our hard yakka of the last hundred or so days. I think we've really proven that. <laughs> yeah, and I think we owe it to ourselves, um, all of us, to, to get it right when we're describing each other, don't we? Absolutely, I absolutely. Reckon. Yeah, our strength is in our differences and our similarities as well. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Hey, well, look, I might um, segue in here. There's a segue of sorts. Um, but I've just finished the, the most gorgeous novel. Um, it's a new one, um, and it's called My Brilliant Life by the writer Iran Kim, and it's translated from the Korean by Chi Young Kim. Now, um, this is Iran Kim's uh, first novel. She's a, a millennial writer. And she's won a number of literary awards in South Korea for her short stories. But this novel um, is just my brilliant life. Yep, yeah, it's just such a beautiful book. It's engaging, it's heartbreaking and funny. So sometimes we need a bit of humour as well and a bit of something to uplift you. So um, now, My Brilliant Life, it's a book that weaves together the past and the present of a tight-knit family. And it's um, where um, you can find joy and happiness in even the most difficult times. 
So our main character, Iram Han, is 16 years old when we first meet him. And he lives with his parents in a small village in South Korea, but they're living in poverty. Uh, now, Iram doesn't go to school, um, but he has a huge curiosity about everything about him. Now, he suffers from a very rare disease called progeria, and that's the one that causes rapid uh, premature aging. Um, It's that disease that's sometimes called Benjamin Button disease. Um, There's been a bit written about it, and there's been movies and that sort of thing. So our dear character, Aram, um, he's 16, but his body is the equivalent of an eight-year-old. So despite all of this, um, all these difficulties, Aram lives his life to its fullest. Um, He basically lives vicariously through the stories of his parents and um, conversations with his best friend, who is a 60-year-old, his neighbour, who Mm. he calls Little Grandpa Young. (laughs) And um, he also lives his life through the the books he he reads and um, he imagines the places that he would visit if he could, but they're Mm -hmm. the places that he knows he's never going to see. Mm. So Aram says of his father, he says, my dad sees his future 80-year-old face in mine, which that's quite touching, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. I know, isn't it? Yes. Mm. And at at 16, the other thing is, Aram's the age that his parents were when they had him. So they were at school together when they um, became pregnant with their son. So now his parents' life together has never been easy, um, although there's fortunately there's always been plenty of love and devotion. But um, his immediate plan is to write a story of my parents from the very beginning and give this to them for my 17th birthday. And um, no, because he knows that their time together is limited. So instead of his awards or his college diploma, I will gift them my story or our story. Beautiful. So it is. It's really, it's so sweet. There's something delightful about it too. And so anyway, there's a, he's got a final hospital stay on the horizon, but there's no way of the family being able to pay the cost. So um, Aaron agrees to appear on a reality TV show that promises him money for doing so. Um, and in doing so in, in appearing on the TV show, he ends up connecting with another teenager who's also ill, and the two of them share their hopes and, and dreams. Um, so it is a narrative about fatal illness, but it it really combines, you've got these moments of insight and, and joy, and they, they really resonate, and it it is actually so heartwarming. Mm. Um, I'm sure this is a story that's been told before um, because the character Aram reminded me a lot of Augie Pullman. You know, remember um, Augie mm. from R.J. Palaccio's Wonder, that gorgeous yes. novel okay, and film? Um, yeah, and Augie was also a, a young person with a, a tragic condition, but who also had a really buoyant and wise outlook on life. And um, they both characters sort of educate those around them just really by being their authentic self. Mm-hmm. But I really think I hope I haven't sold this book short because there's much, much more to the book than just the sort of disease of the week kind of thing. Sure. It, 
it's deeply moving and insightful and it, it's really it's captured my heart with its its charm and wisdom so highly recommended it sounds absolutely gorgeous i really yeah. want to read that it was just glorious now um i'll jump over to my next one because yeah sort of going from the sublime to the ridiculous in a way because <laughs> I've read another trans translation which I do enjoy now this one was called um, Hard Like Water and it's by the well-known Chinese writer Yan Lianke mm -hmm. um, and it's a translation um, by um, I think the translator lives in America I might be wrong Carlos Rojas mm -hmm. anyway but he's done a very good job apparently of, of translating it so now did you know this Annika apparently I did not know this but apparently in China there's an extremely popular literary subgenre known as revolution plus love <laughs> I didn't who knew I hey. didn't so it's like this sort of war romance sort yes. of um, yeah, their take on that. Yes, it is. Hmm. But I think they take it to, they take it all the way. Okay. Put it that way. Um, so anyway, the, our author, Yan Lianke, he's highly acclaimed. He's won a lot of literary awards in China, um, highly educated, and he's uh, quite prolific. But so he's transplanted this, the revolution plus love subgenre into the turbulence of the cultural revolution, which went from 1966 to 1976. And he's done it to highlight, now I quote, the erotics of revolutionary activism. Um, so yeah, and so he's um, basically put a, a quite an impossible love story into an erotic um, activist revolutionary setting so <laughs> you may want to keep reading so, <laughs> Definitely. yeah so anyway our main character a man called um, Gao Aijun he spent the last year and a half of his military service digging a tunnel through the mountains in a remote area um, it sounds really depressing so when he's returning to his home village he encounters a, a beautiful young woman called Xia Hongmei and she's sitting there in the middle of nowhere sitting on the train tracks so he gets talking to Hongmei and she just can't take her eyes off him and then Hongmei asks Aishin um, for a piece of his clothing which he gives to her and then unexpectedly Hongmei bears her delicate feet with their red sorry I'm gonna start laughing red painted toenails and then horror she opens her pink blouse for his viewing pleasure so and well, it's a case well, well yes it's a case of lust at first sight it really is so um despite the fact that they're both married at the stage and then they both go on to have children they end up having this all-consuming affair in between a sort of impassioned revolutionary fervor crikey dick yeah happening look, up in the mountains isn't it it is yes it um it's a new sort of take on the bodice ripper i, I guess <laughs> so um um so anyway so our um Aishan manages to woo Hongmei with her, a timely pitch. He says, Hongmei, let's pursue revolution together. 
And um, they both go about waging a war on the village leadership. And um, just as Chairman Mao had commanded, they destroy the monuments, the old monuments, as you do. then they have passionate rod nerve wherever they can, even inside, some of it's unappealing, even inside tombs where, quote, the smell of death and decay mixed with the scent of damp straw was everywhere. Um, Yeah, and um, it's, as I say, it's unappealing, but there's a bit of a crime aspect to it as well, because anyone who stands in their way, for whatever reason, manages to somehow disappear from the scene. I think. So, but Hong Mei, she's a bit of a Lady Macbeth character. Um, so, but some people are saying she's not quite as bad, but she, um, she um, spurs Aishin on to commit more crimes so that she says when half of this town's government is yours we won't have to sneak around like thieves anymore mm, so okay the revolutionary is becoming yes yes hungry yep yes and i suppose the um political struggle is is personal isn't it so this is it's a real study of power and class struggle and in the, towards the end you can see that it's heading towards the near classic tragedy um there's a I wondered if he was sort of even going back to his roots of magical realism slightly, oh. but and but some of that gets a bit beyond me. But now the book's um, full of revolutionary slogans and references to Chinese opera and literature, and um, the couple engages in a long-running revolutionary verbal battle involving wordplay, and this often leads to to sex and. Um, but they they do play around with the language a lot, so it's so satirical and and punchy. You know, I found the story very. I couldn't help but think of Kafka while I was reading this, and I was also thinking of Joseph Heller's um, the 1961 novel Catch 22 oh, yes. while I was reading yes. it. That just the absurdity and the futility of war and and their entire situation. And um, our character is hapless, Aishin. He really reminded me of Joseph Heller's character in Catch 20... I nearly said Catch 21, Catch 22. Um, His character, Major, 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 Major. Oh, yeah. That one. Yeah. So, look, it's... To be honest, I don't think it's going to be everyone's cup of tea. But, look, if erotic revolutionary activism is your thing then you're going to find this just the ticket. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very seasonal. Yes, that's right. <laughs> the reason for the season, isn't it? Erotic revolutionary fervour. Yes, that's right. Shall I put it aside? Oh, sorry, activism. Erotic Activ- revolutionary activism. Activism with a bit of fervour <laughs> thrown in. Uh, how about I'll put it aside for you. With- oh, thank you. <laughs> when I next see you. <laughs> Whatever that is. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, true. Yeah, it rolls on. Well, um, I'm going to, to pull in then my next shorty, my next little shorty, which is um, A Children's Bible by Lydia Millet. Now, this is a novel. It's found in our adult fiction collection. It was published in 2022, and you can also find it in Overdrive as an ebook and e-audio. So, A Children's Bible, far out. This was an amazing book. I loved it. <laughs> I always say that, don't I? <laughs> yes. I do love most of my reading. Otherwise, it just so- 
Yeah, so do I. They don't get they don't get reviewed. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to bring my hot take records and bring anyone. Down. There's always a book for everyone, but yes, this sure one is. I really did love. <laughs> it was just 220 pages, so definitely fits in as a short read. I managed to read it in one pretty long Saturday line. I must admit, I was pretty exhausted after the the working week. So here's the story. So a group of old college friends hire a big lakeside house on the east coast of the US for a shared summer holiday. Now they've all brought their various children who are kind of ranging in ages um, from around six or so to around 17 years old. Now the kids don't know each other all that well because they only see each other, you know, on the odd reunions. Um, but the ones who are around kind of eight, seven or eight and up have made a pact with each other that they're going to try and live as separately as possible from the adults all summer because the adults are so embarrassing, embarrassing for them. And um, also the adults are pretty much drunk on, on holiday all the times of the day and night. So, you know, yep. it's sun up, sun down, you know, yep. sun's over the yard arm at 11 and just, just keeps rolling. Yep. They even start a game, the kids. Um, they don't. They um, they decide that no one can know whose parents belong to which kids, so they all go to great efforts to um, to not connect with their parents, so that they don't get exposed as being the child of that parent. Now, our main character Evie is around fifteen, I think, or sixteen. She's a narrator. Now, she has a gorgeous and lovely, thoughtful, um, wise beyond his years brother, um, who's about nine, and he's called Jack. Now, Evie, or Eve, is angry at the mess that her parents' generation have made, um, particularly around the planet, and um, she's going to be the inheritant of that in her generation, and she's also upset because they seem to have kind of lost um, lost focus on what life is really meant to be about. They're not really seeing her and Jack um, clearly. They're not really caring what they're up to, not just at um, the summer break. It seems to be, you know, a recurring theme in their lives. Now, a heavy storm front comes in and this becomes a flood. Then there's a plague of insects and much later in the piece, disease starts to roll in. Now, you might pick from the title, a children's Bible. You might ah, be able to see some of these connections coming yes, through. Because I was wondering. Yeah. Oh, I was wondering why it was called a children's Bible. Right, I'm it's starting to see, see it. really fabulously um, through this book. Mm. And actually, Jack ends up being given a children's Bible in the book and starts to see parallels in what's going on around uh-huh. him and sort of trying to extrapolate these out and make sense of his world and what's going on around him. Very interesting. Now, the adults, when all this stuff happens, they don't know what to do. The power runs out. They can't charge their phones anymore. Emergency services are doing nothing. Um, the kids are doing their very, very best to try and fix stuff and, you know, pick up all the pieces. Um, but then in the end, they decide that they're going to hit the road together, leave their parents to their own fate and try and find a better way to get out of the situation. And also they end up finding some better ways to live too. For, this is a rip roaring roller coaster ride of a book for a 200 page book you know it's a contemporary parable or kind of an allegory of climate change and also generational divides now the kids are full of that adolescent cynicism and attitude <laughs> that you get that DJAF I'm not yeah, going to oh, translate yep. yeah. look um, <laughs> they're witty and snarking they've got this sort of dark gallows humour but it's hiding a lot of sorrow disconnect and anxiety really um, there's also some gorgeous moments of like clarity and tenderness and learning experiences that happen along the way especially once they leave their parents um, 
between the kids from older to younger and younger to older, also with the animals and birds and the nature that, that they find around them. They, they end up gardening at one point as well. They meet adults along the way who are showing, end up showing them both the best and the absolute worst of the alternative ways to be a grown-up when there's a time of crisis. This book was so, so good. I just loved it. I absolutely loved it. I can't recommend it enough. And it's a very much a, um, you know, it's a, such a solid piece of writing that just is all of a piece. You know, when you like on that right rail and you yes. just like, you're totally in that world for that whole time and nothing really breaks you out of it. It sounds amazing because she is a very good writer. She's um, always it's reviewed well, isn't she? But this, you've just um, really sold it to me. Um, it sounds fantastic. So I think I might try and get a hold of this one as well. Yep, absolutely. You should. Yes. Oh, it just sounds, and so timely as well, um, you know, with all the things that particularly our younger um, generations uh, are having to deal with. Absolutely. Fabulous. Oh, no, that is so good. Well, look, um, as a really quick hot tip, a um, couple of books today have actually made it onto the Auckland Library's Top 100, which is absolutely hot off the press as we speak. <laughs> so um, see, so if our listeners, our book club people, can um, work out which ones we're talking about, that'd be really good. <laughs> now, um, to our listeners, it's been lovely having you along for the ride with us today so thanks so much for tuning in and thanks Annika I'll, I'll talk to you again in a week and um, so to everyone out there take care and be kind to yourselves this program was brought to you by Auckland Libraries Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond. Every day, every day.